This isn't us. This isn't America. This isn't Christianity. We are better than this. Have you heard or said those words recently? Well, you may not want to hear this, but the only way forward is to let those words go. Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 40. This is us. We have to own it. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Writer's Advance Weekend. If you've got a book or some other writing project in the works, what do you need to get it finished? Well, I'll tell you what you don't need. You don't need more networking or social media expertise or time scrolling. You don't need lectures about writing from experts. You don't need to be sold another course on how to structure your book or write a proposal. What you need is undistracted time to write. For most of us, life is just not structured well to get that writing done. Work responsibilities, endless laundry, errands, the dog barking at every leaf that blows through the yard, it's hard. That's why I created the Writer's Advance Weekend. This is a weekend for writers that's focused on writing. An inspiring venue, great meals, large blocks of time where you can write uninterrupted, and there's just enough structure and encouragement to help you get those words out. The 2020 Fall Writers Advance this past October was fantastic. We gathered at Mount Angel Abbey in beautiful Mount Angel, Oregon, and the results were amazing. The writers who came were encouraged, they solved manuscript problems, and they wrote. A novelist wrote 3,000 words over the weekend. A nonfiction writer finished their outline and their proposal. And then a woman began a memoir writing 20,000 words in just three days. That is not a typical result. Now, if you're a writer, or if you love a writer, check out the Writer's Advance. The next one's coming up in April of 2021, and there are two spots left. Registration's also open for the fall, that's November 2021. I'd love to see you there and help you get that project going. Learn more and register at www.thewritersadvance.com. Okay, now about those words that we need to lose. I want to give you fair warning. I'm going to address the attack and occupation of the Capitol building that happened on December 6th. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about politics. Now, somebody's going to say, Mark, come on, stop it. Stop being political. This isn't a political podcast. That's not why we come here. Get back to talking about Jesus. Well, stick with me, okay? This really is a conversation about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. It's just going to take a little straight talk to get there. So if you would, keep your hands and arms inside the car till the ride has come to a complete stop, and then you can see what you think. January 6th was supposed to be a writing day for me. So after a good chunk of writing in the morning, I got up to refill my teapot and I popped open social media for what was supposed to be just a few minutes, a short little break before getting back to writing. It was like opening the door into a building on fire. Like many of you, I was glued to the news. Congress had gathered to certify the Electoral College vote. There was a rally down the street filled with uh, angry words from unhappy people. And then that crowd of folks who'd come to Washington to support the president and challenge the election began marching toward the Capitol. It looked like a protest at first, angry people in the streets making themselves heard, a normal thing in America. But then some of those people breached the barriers and they pushed back the Capitol Police and they broke into the Capitol building through broken windows and defaced doors. They pressed their way inside. The crowd was pretty open about who they were and what they were doing there. 
Very few wore masks obstructing their faces. Many wore t-shirts with Make America Great slogans. Some were recognizable media figures from the far right happily live streaming themselves as they defaced public property and ransacked private offices. Some in the mob were decked out in tactical gear, military-style helmets, even weapons. But most of the crowd seemed like normal U.S. citizens. Most of them were white. And many of them, if their t-shirts and chants and signs mean anything, were Christians. There were giant flags declaring, Jesus is my savior and Trump is my president. Jesus 2020. Signs proclaiming, hold the line and God wins. One protester ran into the Capitol building carrying a, a Christian crusader flag. And there was a small group of Christians outside the front steps with their arms up, praying over the whole event. The violent mob behavior was disturbing to say the least, and the implications of it are still terrifying. But as the day wound on and more pictures and video and first-person accounts came out, I heard the same refrain over and over. This isn't us. We're better than this. I heard it in reference to the country. This isn't America. No real American would do this. I heard it in reference to the church. This isn't Christianity. Real Christians wouldn't behave this way. Now, I've heard these same responses a lot in the last couple of years. I heard it when we watched Black Lives Matter protests that became violent clashes between protesters and police. People said, this isn't us. This isn't America. When we learned about children being separated from their parents at the border and placed in indefinite detention, people said, this isn't us. This isn't America. When we listen to stories about churches excusing and protecting abusive pastors, people said, this isn't us. This isn't real Christianity. Over and over we say it. And I feel it too. These kinds of egregious acts, they are violations. They are not who we want to be, who we hope and believe we could become. They don't represent our best ideals. And when America's working right, there shouldn't be angry mob violence. When Christianity is working right, there shouldn't be lies and cover-ups. So I get it. But for our own good, for the future of both the church and our country, I have to tell you some bad news. Saying this isn't us isn't helping. It's not true. It's denial. This is us. Those were Americans storming the Capitol. Many of them were Christians. And even if you and I weren't there, and even if we wildly disagree with their politics or their actions, they are still a part of our wider community. I don't like hearing that. I don't like saying it. I want to react against it. I want to join in and say no true American would do, or no real Christian would behave. But that is a shortcut meant to make me comfortable. And the consequences if we take this shortcut is that we avoid healing and growing. One of the lessons I learned in therapy is that the only way to heal is to face and name the wound. Most 12-step programs begin with the same principle. If you want to deal with your addiction, you have to start by admitting you have a problem. My own Christian tradition starts in the same place. Forgiveness and the healing that results comes after repentance and confession. Confession is first. Confession is just admitting what is true. Yep, I did that. I'm a part of the problem. I accept responsibility. This is an essential principle for spiritual maturity. Don't live in the lie. Name the lie. Renounce the lie. Repent of your participation in the lie. Then, and only then, can there be healing and growth. Look, if we want to see things improve, if we want a more equal, free country, or if we want more impactful and Christ-like churches, we've got to start with the truth. I've heard folks watching the video of the attack on Congress saying, how could this happen? Wondering, confused. 
I'm not confused. I've expected violence for several years now. What happened at the Capitol is the nearly inevitable outcome of choices we've made as a country and as churches and pastors and Christians. We can debate all the causes, we can talk about sin, we can talk about unjust systems, but at the heart of things, the mob mentality that bubbled over into public violence, it was the result of denial more than anything else. First, let's talk about America and democracy and politics just for a moment. I think most of us are proud to be American. The ideal of a state governed by the people, for the people, where people can pursue life, liberty, and happiness, it's a humanitarian dream. Many of us have taken great pride in the story that we are an industrious, honest group of people who will buckle down and work hard and accomplish great things, and some of us are. We resonate with that mythic language that our country is like a shining city on a hill, a beacon of freedom and democracy to the world. That's a great story. It inspires me. It is not wholly true. And we live in denial when we aren't willing to face the facts. For instance, we say that America was founded for religious freedom. And then we don't acknowledge that one of the first things the early colonists did was oppress the religious freedom of people they disagreed with, both the native people and other Christian immigrants. And still today, many Christian people believe that religious liberty really means that their kind of Christian ought to get their way and be in charge. We say America was founded for personal liberty, but then we try hard to ignore the reality that a significant portion of the wealth that boosted our country to greatness was generated by 400 years of free labor taken by violence from Africans and an entire continent of nearly free land taken by violence from the native people who lived here before us, who still live here. Free land and free labor are a pretty significant boost to any business endeavor. Without those two things, our country would not have become the powerhouse that we were early on but we don't want to account for that part of our story. We say America was founded as a democracy where the power of governments derive from the people and they all have a say in governance by voting, but then we don't like to talk about how voting suppression has been a central part of our shared story since the beginning. Managing who can vote through laws, gender rules, fees, property ownership, gerrymandering, and finally, in many cases, outright corruption and even terror these have been key strategies every American party has used at one time or another in order to take or maintain power. So when we look at this mob of people storming the Capitol angry because they don't trust the integrity of an election, we can't just say, that's not us, that's not American. Unfair elections are a part of our story. Ignoring the will of the voter is a part of our story. The difference is that today, the people feeling unheard and disenfranchised are mainly white, middle-class people, many of them Christian. If we want to heal as a nation, if we want to live up to the ideal of what democracy can be, then we have to name the lies and repent of the lies and turn away from the lies. We got to stop living in denial. But as you already said, this isn't a political podcast. You don't come here for politics. As much as the American story has shaped me, and as much as I long for our country to be a truly equal, free democracy, that is not my most pressing concern. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, it shouldn't be yours either. For too long, our Christian communities, our churches, have been focused on things that are not in alignment with the way of Jesus. We built churches that are strictly hierarchical and patriarchal, and then we deny the way this power structure can be used and is used to manipulate, control, and abuse people. 
I mean, this problem alone has led to a crisis of sexual abuse in the last decade, a cascade of embarrassing moral failures, and broken trust and lost faith of a generation. We've taught Christians that they were soldiers in a culture war, called by God to purify America, and if they didn't give their money and show up at the right events and buy the right books and watch the right news station and vote in the right way, that we would lose our country forever. And then, after saying that for 30 or 40 years, we want to look at these images of folks storming the Capitol with Christian flags and t-shirts and say they aren't ours? No, this is us. And if we're going to make a better future, we have to own it. Following Jesus means above all else, following Jesus' way. The beginning of our relationship to God through Jesus comes when we decide that truth matters above all else. That's what confession is. It's the moment we decide that admitting the truth about who we are and what we've done is more important than feeling comfortable or self-justifying. In the evangelical tradition many of us are familiar with, that means taking the vulnerable step of saying, yes, I am a sinner, I need forgiveness. But I think we're learning that it also means saying, yes, I participate in and benefit from systems that hurt other people, that exploit other people, and I need to be part of the change. So we begin with confession. We repent of the things in our lives and our communities that are not rooted in Christ-like love, and then we turn, we start on a new path. What is that path? We practice the difficult way of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We trust that the Spirit is at work bringing Christ's kingdom to life, not through power or influence or violence, but through the gentle impact of other-centered, co-suffering love. Our Lord set down His power in order to serve others. He set aside His privilege in order to save humanity, and then He told us to follow in His steps. Part of the pain of this moment is seeing so plainly what's true. The whirlwind at hand is our own doing. In times of crisis, the ancient Hebrew prophets called people to repentance. This moment has challenged me to repent, and I'm inviting you to do the same. Now, I'm not one of those pastors who thinks that if America would swear off, insert favorite vice or practice you disagree with here, that God would bless and heal our land. I don't think God works that way. That's not the kind of repentance I mean. Repentance simply means to see what's true and turn away from the inevitable destruction ahead. Metanoia is the Greek word. It means to change your mind and thus your direction. And essential, essential to repentance is that we've got to stop living in the lie wherever the lie is found. We must repent of passing along and amplifying unverified social media news just because it fits our opinions or makes us feel like we're on the right team. We must repent of supporting practices that exclude and marginalize others. That includes saying there's no such thing as racism or systemic injustice or white privilege. Look, critical race theory is not your enemy. It's just a way of talking about the experience of power in this country. It seems worth listening to if we care to make sure everyone in our country and our churches is welcome, heard, and included. We must repent of supporting Christian leaders who sell their souls for a seat at the table of power, for book contracts, TV shows, access to celebrities. Should we be present in culture, bringing the influence of Jesus to bear? Certainly. But building media empires is not the way of Christ. We have to repent of gathering power for the purpose of protecting our preferences. Religious liberty that isn't for everyone isn't religious liberty. It's religious privilege. 
America is not a country just for white Christians. And if you think it is, I beg you, I beg you, go back to the Gospels and learn the way of Jesus. Jesus faced three temptations in the wilderness about using his power and privilege to serve himself, to gain influence, and even to take control of the kingdoms of the world. Jesus passed those three temptations. Are we failing them now? We must repent of marrying our faith directly to a certain president or party. Christians can be political. I deeply believe that we can be a part of seeking just laws that increase human flourishing and protect those on the margins and then lead to a better common good. Politics is just how we love our neighbor in public. But no political party platform aligns fully with the work of the church or the way of Jesus, and getting trapped in a single-issue political stand makes you a mark for political conmen. It tells politicians that you will not hold them accountable for bad behavior so long as they don't violate your precious single issue. Look, we've got 2,000 years of church history that testifies against us. Every single time the church has allied with power, even in the hope of achieving what we considered then to be godly aims, the outcomes have been disastrous. We grow and we mature when we can learn, when we can face our error and correct our path, when we can take responsibility for our failures, for our sins, when we can repair the damage that we've done. This is the essence of true repentance, and it's essential for spiritual maturity. Conspiracy fans and religious fundamentalists are shouting that we're approaching the apocalypse, that the book of Revelations is coming true before our eyes. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Greek word that titles the book of Revelation literally means the unveiling. And friends, we are in the middle of an unveiling, to be sure. A mirror is being held up for us. It's uncomfortable because we're seeing the truth. We are seeing that white Christianist nationalism is a sickness in our churches and our country. We are seeing that dysfunctional militant male authority is a sickness in our churches and our country. We're seeing that white supremacy is a sickness in our churches and our country. We're seeing more clearly than ever that the idols of power and privilege and the inevitable corruption that occurs when a small group of elite people are allowed to profit themselves without accountability is a sickness in our churches and our country. Look at the mirror. Don't turn away. Now, if you don't agree with all I've said, then put in the time to study these things. Listen to the voices of the people who've been warning us, the voices of women, of black theologians, of people of color, of poor people from every community. Listen and learn. They see our churches and our society differently than everyone, and their vision is sizably more accurate because they have to know what's going on in order to survive. This is us. This is our country. This is our churches. Now, don't mistake me. I love the United States. I love the ideals behind this incredible human experiment, and I hope for a continued expansion of human freedom here in this country. I also love the church and the way of Jesus. I hope for the spread of the gospel so that more people can come to see that God is for them, that they are beloved, that the way of other-centered, co-suffering love is what our hearts were made for. But these ideals, they require real people to live them out. I mean, both democracy and the way of Christ have this one thing in common. They require humility. That's a willingness to listen and the ability to say, we were wrong, but we can do better. This week has been brutal. 
and the coming days, I suspect, will remain so. The future is not guaranteed to us. The kind of country or church we find ourselves in will always devolve to the worst unless we actively, intentionally pursue the best. So join me. Take a deep breath. Consider what the best looks like and commit yourself to it. Repent of the lie and change the direction. Whether we're talking about the beloved community of the church or that city on a hill we hoped the United States could be, the path forward is the same. See the truth, accept the truth, repent of our complicity, and be part of the change. May you have the courage to see and name the truth, to repent of the lies, and to be part of making a change for the good of the world. Thank you so much for listening. Notes for today's episode and any links mentioned are at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW040. Now, it's not always like this around here. Most of the time we talk about practical realities of spiritual growth, but sometimes the practical has to do with the circumstances we find ourselves in, and this is our present circumstance. If this was helpful and you'd like more, join my email list. Two emails a month at most, usually less. Links to my writing and other things that'll serve your journey, like book recommendations for books that I love and think will be helpful. Plus, I'm giving away a short book called The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and practice for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. This little prayer has been deeply helpful to me and to my church, especially in these turbulent days. I want you to have it. So subscribe, get a copy, www.markoptin.com. Also, if you like what you're hearing here, would you please subscribe on YouTube? I record this podcast in both video and audio, and here's why. YouTube's the second largest search engine on the internet. When people want to learn something, the first place they search is YouTube. I want to be able to help people there too. So when you go to YouTube and you like and subscribe, it tells YouTube's algorithm that people like you might like this podcast, and that's how it gets served up as a recommendation to other people. So even if you don't use YouTube all that much, it would be a huge gift to me and to other people who want to grow spiritually if you would go to YouTube right now and like the kids say, like and subscribe. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, even crazy moments like this, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.